Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This morning, I want to talk to you, or rather minister to you, the Word of God as it was given to me. As I sought God in prayer, even before I arrived in Cyprus, seeking the face of the Lord, intending to hear what He has to say to the church, and remember that the church is much bigger than you and I think. This is just a tiny section of the church. So I want to address the church today and speak prophetically to the church what I hear as I stand in God's presence, what I hear from His heart to the heart of His people. And so I want to lay a foundation on what I'd like to share with you today from Isaiah chapter 66 and we are going to read verse 1 and 2 from the King James Version. If you can put it up on the board I would appreciate it. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1 and 2 and I'm reading from the King James Version. There are many voices out there in the world today and many words that are given to the church. Some are true, but some are false. Only those who stand in the presence of the Lord in order to hear the counsel of the Lord, according to Jeremiah chapter 23, only those that stand in His counsel are able to proclaim the true word of the Lord. And sometimes the word that we hear might not be a pleasant one. It might be filled with conviction, correction, reproof. For the Lord says, as many as I love what does he do to those whom he loves? Anyone can tell me what he does? He says, I rebuke and I chasten. Six out of the seven, I think, churches that the Lord addressed in the book of Revelation, six out of seven were, were commanded to repent and to return. Though the Lord acknowledged the good works, He acknowledged the deeds that they were doing, some of them were improving, but then He also had some tough words to say to them. And so let's read our foundational scripture. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house? that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my man have made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for your holy word. And we ask in the name of Jesus this morning that as we hear the word of the Lord, you would give us ears deep down within our spirits to hear and eyes to see that which you desire and wanting us to see grasp and understand that which you would have us understand from the ministry of your word this morning. 
We open our hearts, Lord, and we pray that you will create in us a greater capacity of reception to receive more of you, more of your presence, more of your holiness, more of your glory. Not just things, but more of you, Lord, for we desire more of your holy presence in our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. As we have just read, God is on the lookout and he's looking for certain individuals, men and women, boys and girls. And he specifically clarifies the type of people that God is looking for in our generation. And he says, to this man will I look. There is another verse of scripture that I'm reminded of. It says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth in order that he may show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, when it comes to walking with him, it's all about the heart attitude. It's not about outward appearances. It's about the inward attitude and the state of our heart. He is far more concerned about your heart, your spirit man, your soul, your attitude, than he is about anything else in your life. As I was in the presence of the Lord just a few days ago, I heard the Spirit of the Lord say this to me, Son, he said, what really matters in the light of eternity and in the realm of the Spirit, it's not about what house you live in, how small or how big your house is, if you're rich or poor, what car you drive, what titles you have next to your name. What really matters to me is the attitude of your heart. Do you know me? How well do you know me? Do you really love me passionately, fervently? Is the fire of my spirit burning within your heart? What is the state of your heart? That is what really concerns me. And this morning we want to talk about the state of our heart, our attitude. Listen to what he says. To this man will I look. What type of a person is God looking for? so that he may come and rest in that person. Father God, with his Son, is looking for a place of rest. Not just to visit, but to rest within us and to work through us great and mighty things. And he says, I am looking for someone who is poor in spirit who carries within him a contrite heart, one that is broken, that is meek, and trembles at my word. These type of people are very rare to find even in the house of God. Very rare. The poor in spirit are those who are humble, they don't have a high opinion of themselves. They do not pretend to know it like so many of us do. Just because we heard the word so many times, we say, I know, I know the word. Do we really know it? To the point where we tremble at the hearing of his word. The poor in spirit are those who acknowledge their spiritual poverty and utter depravity without Christ. That outside of Christ they are nothing. They know nothing. They are humble. They are meek. 
they broken in spirit. They carry within them a tender heart, a soft heart that is able to hear even the slightest whisper of the Holy Spirit as he whispers his direction, his love, his comfort, his correction. A repentant heart. And one, listen to this, that never ceases to be amazed at the wonder of God's Word. That goes, wow, wow. That every time they pick up the Holy Word of God, every time they hear the Word, Every time they read the word or hear it in their spirit, the hearts tremble out of deep reverence and respect for the Holy Word of God. Those are the type of people that God's Spirit rests upon them. They carry the very presence of God, the very glory of God, not just on Sunday morning, wherever they go. I remember a number of years ago, I had just finished a time of fasting and prayer and I went to pick up my car from the service station and there was a lady there, she knows me because that's where we usually service our cars and when I went to pick up my car that day, she, she began to stare at me and look deep into my eyes and she said, what is it about you? There is a glow. There is something different about you. Well, I had an opportunity to share and to witness the love of Christ with her. When the presence of God rests upon us, wherever we go, people will notice. I read many years ago a great apostle of faith by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. He was so filled with God. One day he walked into a train, he sat down in that compartment and a man came and sat next to him and all of a sudden he started weeping and crying and repenting of his sins without anything being said. God is looking for vessels in whom he can rest. We're talking about God's place of rest. I'm not satisfied with God visiting me. I want him to stay with his glory. And I'm talking about the very tangible presence of God. And he says, these are the kind of people that I'm looking for. And through those people, I will work. I will perform my wonders. And these are the type of people in our generation that will raise the standard of God's holiness and righteousness for all to see and be convicted of their sin and rebellion against God. Unbelievers should be uncomfortable in our presence rather than us being uncomfortable in their presence. They should feel conviction they should see the difference. They should see the glow, the love, the kindness, the goodness, the mercy, the generosity of our Heavenly Father. Oh, for a heart that fears the Lord. I long for a heart that deeply reverences and fears the Lord to the extent where I tremble at His word. God is looking for people who tremble, he says, at his word. There is an inward trembling. And that is, that, that comes, that is birthed out of deep reverence and holy fear of a holy God. We have a common phenomenon in the church today. And that is the lack of respect and the lack of reverence towards the word of God. We have an attitude which says, we know what the Word says. We've heard it preached so many times. 
We've read it so many times. So we come towards God with an attitude that says, I know it. You know, there is a worldly proverb that says, familiarity will always breed contempt. Due to this kind of familiarity that we have embraced towards God's holy word, the word of God has become powerless to touch and minister life to us. Deliver us from our afflictions. Set us free from our habitual sins. Elevate us unto another level. Where we walk with God so close. Where we know Him so intimately and love Him so passionately. It's all about the attitude of our heart by which we approach God or His Holy Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same attitude you have toward the Word is the same attitude you have toward God. Amen. Because of our close proximity to the Word of God, it's so easily accessible to us. Through the media. We have it on our laps. We, we have access to it so quickly, so, so readily. Because of the close proximity, we have lost something very precious. And it is the fear of the Lord. The deep respect that should accompany the reading, the hearing. And the meditation of God's word. Do you know that Moses was rebuked for his lack of reverence? The burning bush. And he rushed into the present and God said, whoa, 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 stop. Hold it. Take off your shoes. For the ground which you stand upon is holy. You know, his holy word cannot be approached with irreverence and without a sense of awe. If we do approach it in that manner, without adequate preparation of our hearts, how many of you, when you got up this morning, you spend time in prayer and worship before you come to meet with the Lord and to meet with one another? If you're anything like us in Cape Town, Probably you rolled out of bed, you slept far too much, you got into your car or you walk, I don't know how you got here. In Cape Town we get into the car, we drive everywhere we go. Most of us have a fight in the car with our kids or with our wives before we come to the, to the, to the gathering of the believers. And we come with such an attitude and then we leave church and say, I haven't received anything today. Well, the Lord was there, but your heart was not ready to receive anything because you have not taken the time to prepare. Preparation is so vitally important. You don't just pick up the Word of God and you start reading. You approach it with an attitude that says, Oh God, I don't know anything except the things that you show me. I'm blind unless you open my eyes to see. I am deaf unless you open my ears so that I can hear what is it you're saying to me. That's the kind of attitude that honors the Lord. That's, that's humility. That's meekness. James says, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to do what? Save your souls. Heal your emotions. Restore your brokenness. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them out of all their destructions. Why so many of us are not healed? Why so many of us are not delivered? There's nothing wrong with the word. The word is as powerful and life-giving as it was the day that God sent it. The problem is 
The attitude of our hearts have changed. The way we receive the word, the way we honor the word, the way we believe the word, the way we respect the word makes all of the difference in the world. And unless the heart attitude changes, nothing will change in the house of God. We are in a desperate need of a spiritual awakening. The church is asleep today, spiritually asleep. Unaware of the seasons and the times in which we live in, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire and the pursuit for other things entering into the heart of the believer chokes the very life of God out of us. We spend our days in anxiety and stress and worry rather than living the life that Jesus spoke about, the abundant life he came to give us. Amen. Amen. Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth. He was filled with the Holy Ghost and with power. To do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To deliver the captives. To open blind eyes. He was there right before them. He said, I'm here and this scripture is fulfilled in your ears today. I'm here to do all of these things, to set you free, to give you life. The word of God says, no one blind man was healed. No one broken heart was healed. No noted miracle was done. Why? Familiarity. They became so familiar with Jesus. Who is, who does he think he is? We know him. I mean, we grew up with him, some of us. There are his sisters and his brothers. Who does he think he is? And Jesus said these famous words, a prophet is without honor in his hometown, in his own country, and among his own people. The word, the living word was not given the proper recognition, the proper attitude. He was received as a common man, not as who he really was. They had no spiritual discernment. They couldn't see. They were blind. Why are we blinded at times? Why? Is it that we cannot hear? Isaiah says, you have eyes to see, yet you, you do not perceive, ears to hear, yet you do not understand. Why? Because our hearts grow dull and hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. As a result, the very people that he came to heal and to deliver they missed the hour of the visitation and forfeited the blessing that Jesus came to bestow upon them. And in response to their unbelief, you recall what Jesus said to them? There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah where Israel was suffering from a severe drought and many widows died, many people died of hunger, yet to none of them Elijah was sent except to a widow outside of the borders of Israel. There were many lepers in the days of Elisha the prophet, of Elijah, yet none of them was healed except Assyrian. What was he saying? It's no different today in God's house. It's no different at all. He comes to his own, but his own receive him not. Or at least as they ought to receive him. 
But as many as do receive him, the prescribed way, the right way, to them he gives power over all the works of the enemy. Don't tell me you have power and authority over the works of the enemy if you live your life in sin and in compromise. Hello? The tragedy in our churches today is that his people no longer fear him, no longer tremble at his holy word. We lost the respect the church once enjoyed in the days of his apostles. And the reason being is because we lost the respect towards the word of God. Hebrews 4, verse 1 and 2. Brother Tony mentioned it this morning. He says, when we hear the word, let us receive it with what? With faith. Faith, honor, reverence. Oh, wow. Where's the wow? When was the last time you heard the word of God and said, Wow, what a word, what a promise, what a blessing, hallelujah. And you rejoiced and you jumped up and down because you, you heard the word. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. We have the same gospel preached as they heard. Didn't profit them. Didn't do anything. And we see it. I see it all over. People hear the word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. They go out of the church. They're the same. They live in sin. They live in wilderness. They live in compromise. They swear. They cuss. No conviction. No contrition. No remorse for our sins. What is it? What does it profit if we get popularity and we have no repentance, no remorse, no power? What does that profit us? We have churches that are filled, thousands of people. No remorse for our sin. No repentance. In some circles, repentance is not even preached. Is it any wonder why we lost the respect and we lost the power? But one of the things that grieves the heart of God, and I heard this from the Spirit of the living God. He said, son, one of the things that really grieves my heart is my people's unwillingness to repent or even acknowledge the true state of the church, the, the true state of our, the condition of our hearts. We sin, we're no longer convicted because our conscience sometimes is seared. We're not even aware of it. We must somehow, folks, regain our respect and our reverence for the word of the living God. That's what I've come to share with you today. We must search with all of our hearts. Search the heart, the face of God, to find once again the fear of the Lord and obtain this precious, precious commodity that is called contrite and humble heart one that trembles at his word.
the psalmist said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. What sacrifices is God looking for? Not just the sacrifice of our lips, but a sacrifice of a broken heart. That your heart is broken, not because you're in pain, not because you're in trouble, not because your children are in trouble or your grandchildren, but because you have grieved the heart of God as a result of rebellion and compromise and your own sin. That you grieve and mourn because you have grieved the heart of God and the Spirit of God. That's a true sacrifice. That you present to God that you are sorrowful. Sorrowful and grieved because of your sin. Because of the dullness and the hardness of your heart. Because of the words that often comes out of our mouth that wound and knife people in the heart. Because of the bitterness, the unforgiveness that so often finds rest within our bosom. Unwilling to repent, unwilling to confess, unwilling to forgive. Those are the things that grieve the heart of God and our unwillingness to acknowledge them. We are currently living, folks, in the days of massive deception. In the last days, Paul writes to Timothy, they will come perilous times. The word perilous means difficult to endure, hard to bear. in which folks will have a form of godliness. They appear to be godly. They appear to be religious. They appear to love God. They appear to be followers of Christ. But yet they deny the power thereof to deliver them from their sin and from a selfish lifestyle. We see it all around us. That's why Jesus said, many, many, many will say to me on that day, we did this and we did that in your name, and I will say to them, depart from me. I do not know you, workers of iniquity. They live their own lives. They bow to no one but self. They pursue their own dreams. They say they've given their lives to Christ but they're not serving Christ. They're serving themselves, their own ambitions. Even ministers of the gospel, building their own ministries, their own kingdoms, rather than building the kingdom of God and serving the people of God, whom God has given them to serve, to equip, to minister, and to serve and lift them up. I believe that God's prophetic call to the church today, this very moment, this very hour, is to wake, awake, and put on your strength, O arm of the Lord. There is a trumpet that is blowing now. Those who have ears to hear will hear. The bridegroom is coming. Arise. Arise. Wake up. I'm talking about spiritual awakening that will come from the presence of the Lord upon all those who have the willingness to seek God and seek Him with all of the hearts. They will hear the call. Unmistakably, they will receive His message and they will engage God in a way they have not engaged Him before. 
Jeremiah said, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me and search for me with all of your heart. There is a beautiful verse of scripture in the book of Isaiah that says, stir up yourself and take hold of God. I have found in my own experiences, there are times throughout the years that I have served the Lord, there are times where sovereignly God would pour upon me a desire and there would be no effort to seek Him with all of my heart, to fast and pray and seek His face evermore so that I could see those things that God prepared for me, so that I can walk in the works that He has ordained for me to do. But most times, I have to stir myself up. It is an act of my own will to stir my spirit up and stir myself up in prayer in order to seek Him so that I may find the very things that He wants me to find. He said in 1 Corinthians, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and has not even entered the mind of man the things that God has prepared for each one of us because we love Him. Now those things cannot be perceived, cannot be understood, cannot be grasped with our natural senses or our natural mind. They are spiritual things. They are on another level. They're not on the level of the natural or the flesh. But then he goes on to say, but God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches all things even the very things of God, the deep things of God. How are you and I are going to find out what God has prepared for us? Only by the revelation of the Spirit. Only as we get serious with God. Not play games. And not play church. As we get serious Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we begin to fervently engage God in prayer, with fasting, with mourning. And say, I'm here, Lord, and I'm not content to live without those things which you have prepared for me. One day as I was seeking the Lord in prayer, he said, son, do you know why you are where you are? Because you contend to live without my best. And many of us are content and satisfied to live without God's best. We're satisfied. We don't want any more of God. We are self-sufficient. Like the church in Laodicea that says, well, you say you're rich, but you don't know how poor you are. You say you see, but you don't know that you're blind and you're naked. What, what was the problem with the church in Laodicea? They were lukewarm. They were self-satisfied. They were complacent when it came to their relationship with Christ. Where the Lord says, I stand at the door and knock. If any of you hear my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with you and you with me. And I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. There are things that God has prepared, not just individually, but corporately for the body of Christ, even in this island of Cyprus, that we have not even yet scratched the surface. I'm reminded of Paul who says to the Corinthians, I come to you and I cannot feed you with milk. I can only give you milk. You're not able to receive it because you are yet carnal. There is strife and envy and division among you. And you walk as mere men and I cannot give you the mysteries of the kingdom of God because you're still babes in Christ. And I fear that if I give you meat, I'll choke you to death. Look at the church in Cyprus today, how divided it is, how selfish it is, selfish ambitions, 
my church. We even say it like this. That's pastor so-and-so's church. That pastor so-and-so's church. We've divided the body of Christ. And we cannot rise to see that there is only one church, only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so the Spirit of God grieves and he looks for those individuals that somehow will embrace the heart of God, the burden of the Lord, and give themselves to intercessory prayer, praying for all saints in the Spirit on this island until God comes in the supernatural power of His Spirit and accomplishes all that He wants to accomplish on this island. God has a strategic plan for this island and it's far greater and far bigger the vision than we ever thought and we're not waiting on God, God is waiting on us. He says, wake up, grow up, take responsibility for your nation and begin to intercede for these things will be done not by might not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's not of him who wills or runs, but of God who shows mercy. And he gives mercy and grace to the humble. Isaiah describes it so beautifully in Isaiah 52, verse 1 and 2. He says, Awake! Awake and put on thy strength, O Zion. When you wake, you are strong. And when you're strong in spirit, your words will come out with power. There is such weakness in the church today because of our spiritual negligence when it comes to feeding our spirit man, nurturing our spirit man, giving our spirit man the luxury of meditating in the Word of God. We are malnourished, spiritually weaklings, have no resistance against temptation. Why? Because we are asleep. Proverbs says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is very small. When adversity overcomes you, when the cares of this world overcome you, when worry overcomes you, when fear overcomes you, that tells me one thing. You have no spiritual strength within your inner man. And you cannot resist and you're overcome. Malnourished. We feed our bodies, we clothe our bodies, we spend millions on the presentation of the outward man when our inward man is crying out of hunger. If you don't look after your faith and your spirit, when the time comes for your spirit to come to your aid, he will not be able to. Proverbs says, the strong spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, in affliction, in trouble. But a broken and a wounded and an undernourished spirit who can bear. We grope in the dark as a result of weakness. Whenever the scripture speaks of awakening, he's speaking of prayer. He says, when you awake, when you enter the prayer closet, and when you stay there until you hear God, he who kneels before God will stand before any storm. He says, you will put on your strength. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. When you remain in prayer and in fellowship with the word of God, you are beautifully clothed in your inward man. He clothes you with beauty and a fragrance that is well-pleasing to the Lord. 
For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. There will be a separation when you spiritually awakened. There will be a separation between you and the worldly sinners. The uncircum who are the uncircumcised? Those that have no covenant with God. The sinner. They will come out of you. Today they've invaded the church with the mannerisms, with the values. Worldliness has come into the church and today it is considered as normal Christianity. Arise, O God, within us and let your enemies be scattered. We need once again for the Lord to arise within us and chase the money changers out of his temple and overturn the tables and put our priorities in the right place. Amen. Amen. Shake thyself from the dust. Dust speaks of destruction. Arise and sit down speaks of peace. We are at rest. When the presence of God, the tangible presence of the Lord is upon us, there is peace which passes all understanding. No double-mindedness, no war within us, no guilt or condemnation or shame. We are able to sit and rest. For he who believes has entered into the rest of God. There is a rest that remains for the people of God, folks. And the scripture encourages us to be diligent, to make every effort so that we may enter into the rest of God. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. You loose yourself when you awake. Awake! Wake up! Five were foolish, five were wise. We've heard it in a prophetic word from our sister this morning. The foolish didn't have oil in the lamps. They tried to get oil the last hour. It was too late. There comes a time, listen to me, when the Spirit of God convicts you once, twice, three times. The Bible says, He who hardens who hardens his neck when rebuked shall suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. You ever read that in the book of Proverbs? Amen. He who stiffens his neck or hardens his neck when often rebuked shall suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. There is a time when it's too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Many have died prematurely because they refused to hear the voice of the Lord and the Spirit of God speaking to them. Many died before their time because they left it too late. I heard a testimony of a young minister in his 30s dying and this other minister who knew him began to pray and he received for him. And the Lord said to him, stop, don't do it. Stop praying. He said, why, Lord? Why? Why? He's only 30-something years old and he's a pastor. He said, he has undone his prayers and there is nothing you can do to undo his prayers. Remember what Peter says? Husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge so that your prayers may not be hindered. And if you hinder your prayers, only you, you are the only one who can unhinder them. No one else can do it for you. The same prophetic call rings out through the New Testament. Romans 13 verse 11 says, And that knowing the time, do you know the time? What time is it? Ah, we can tell the natural time. We can, Jesus Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for they were hypocrites. He says, you can tell the signs of the times. When you look at the clouds, you say the rain is coming. 
Oh, we're going to have a good day tomorrow, but you cannot read the signs of the times. Wake up. Look around you. What time is it? Well, Paul says it's now high time to do what? To awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It is high time to awake up spiritually, come alive, live for God 24-7, witness for God. Ephesians 5.14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Notice that he calls those who sleep dead. Did you hear that? Those who <laughs> he calls them dead. In the book of Revelation, Jesus called the church in Sardis dead. Now, some of these words, they, they shock. I can't understand them. But I'm not asked to understand. I'm asked to believe what I read. Amen. Listen to what he says in Revelation 3 verse 1. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and are dead. How is that possible? They were asleep. They were asleep. Paul, by the Spirit of God, says to the Roman believers in Romans 8.13, For if you live after the flesh... What's going to happen? If you live after the flesh, if you satisfy the desires of your flesh, your carnal desires, you keep feeding them, you keep yielding to your flesh, you will die. And don't tell me this once, once saved, always saved. I don't believe that. If you keep yielding to the flesh, if you keep yielding to your sin, your sin is going to bring forth fruit. You will die. But if ye through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live in the presence of God. Folks, these are serious things. I have traveled 11,000 miles to bring you this message today. That's the only reason I'm here. Not because it's my habit. Even Brother Tony and Sister Erda says, whenever you come, you have an open invitation. And I honor that and I appreciate that. That they give me one of the most precious things they have, the pulpit and their people, to minister the Word of God. But I have traveled thousands of miles to bring you this message today. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to walk out of here? Pastor, that was a wonderful word. Thank you so much. I, it makes really no difference to me. What I'm looking for is fruit. Changed lives changed attitudes, changed hearts, changed, renewed minds. We can get to a place where our hearts grow so insensitive and dull that we become dead to the Spirit's voice and guidance in our lives. We become hard, unflexible, until something drastic happens to us, then we are shaken into life. May that never happen to us. May we willingly awake. Sometimes I ask the Lord, Lord, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for us to really spiritually awake? The Bible says it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The goodness, the love. When we have a revelation of how much God loves you, my brother, my sister, you cannot continue 
in the selfish way that you've been going. Friends of the bridegroom, hear the word of the Lord. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And I hear the Lord saying to my spirit, Come to the Lord and bring words with you. Bring him words, but specific words. Words of conviction, words of repentance, words of contrition. Say, Lord, I want to be honest with you. God loves honesty. You know my heart. You know my motives. You know my going out and my coming in. Where would I go that I can hide from you, Lord? No way. Search me, O God, and know my heart, because I don't know my own heart. Jeremiah said, the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Psalm 19 says, who can understand his own errors? Cleanse thou me, O Lord, from secret faults. I'm talking about those secret things that only you and God knows about. Cleanse me, O Lord, from those secret sins. Deliver me from the presumptuous thoughts. Pride. Pride is so hard to detect, folks. It takes the revelation of the Spirit of God to show our hearts. For the psalmist said, in your light, we shall see light. Search me. Allow God to search your heart this morning as we, let's stand and give moments to the Spirit of God to, to let that word sink in today. Take stock of your self, your heart, your attitude. Have you become so familiar with God and His word that His word no longer makes you tremble, no longer makes you, wow, then when we share how much God loves you, you remain indifferent. Yeah, I know, brother, God loves me. But, but, yes, I know the scripture says, but, but, search me, O God. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would turn your searchlight on our hearts, Lord. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Search me and know my heart, and see, O Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Draw near to God, the Word says, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Notice that this letter that James wrote, he wrote to the brethren. He didn't write it to the world. And yet he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. We just heard this morning that we have been made the righteousness of God. Is the word of God contradicting itself? No, a thousand times no. But our hands, our deeds need to be washed. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. Be afflicted. Mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning. We mourn because of the state of the church. Not just the state of my own heart, but the state of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so broken. We're so crying out. There's a beautiful song. I love this song. I don't have Wi-Fi to play it now for you. That is sang when it talks about who will rise for the church. Who will rise up? 
Can you hear the cries? The cries of our own people. I recall many years ago, I was sitting in church Sunday after Sunday, just after my rebirth, minding my own business, running my own life and business and raising my kids with my wife. And I'm sitting there in church and one beautiful morning Sunday, the burden of the Lord comes upon me. The burden for my own country fellow men, the Greek community of Zimbabwe. I was never the same again. And I looked around and I, I said to myself, what am I doing sitting in church while my people are perishing? I didn't leave church, but something happened to me that day that changed my life forever and the course of my ministry. I began to weep and pray and fast for the salvation of the Greek community in Zimbabwe. And this went on for weeks and months. The burden of the Lord would not lift. Oh, I pray that God would visit you with such a burden for those who all around you are perishing. One of the signs that we are spiritually asleep is that we no longer care for the souls of unsaved people. We no longer witness nor share the gospel or our faith. Folks, people are dying. There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, my brother, my sister. And after months of prayer and fasting, the Spirit of God released me to go minister to them. Many were saved, but many rejected the word of the Lord. But my hands were clean, for I did not shun to declare to them the whole counsel of God. May the Lord visit you with his burden. May you go to bed at night and cannot sleep because you're so troubled about the souls of those around you that are perishing. And may the love of God fill our hearts to such an extent where we begin to serve and give until it hurts. Father, hear our prayer. And we pray for the entire church of this island. We pray for all the ministers of the gospel, not just in this city, but on this island, both Greeks and non-Greeks. We pray, Father, for a genuine outpouring of your spirit upon the church in this nation. We pray that you would visit us with your mercy and your grace. We pray that you would bring the church to an awakening, a realization of the state and the condition of the heart of the church, so that by your grace may we be led and guided into a place of repentance and contrition. And this we ask in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. I want to do one more thing before we close this morning. I don't want to close the service without that. If you're here this morning and you have been convicted by the Spirit of God for one thing or another, I want you to line up here in front. I am simply going to lay my hand on you, not pray for you. I believe there is an impartation that God wants to give to those whose hearts are ready. The word of God says, he who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Do you know what a prophet's reward is? When you receive a prophet's reward, your heart begins to turn towards the one true God. He puts a fire in you and a passion for God and a love that exceeds every other love. That's what a prophetic ministry does. Turns the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the wisdom of the just. 
That's a prophet's, a true prophet's reward. It puts in you a hunger, a desire to turn to God with all of your heart and to honor him all the days of your life. So if you have been convicted by the Spirit of God this morning, and I know there are some of you here that have been convicted, put your pride in your pocket, come to the front. All I'm going to do is just lay my hand on you in the name of Jesus. Only if you've been convicted. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your presence. Put your pride in your pocket and say to the Lord today, let this day be the day of new beginnings in my life. I no longer want to live in a state where my heart is not on fire for you. I want to love you and love you passionately. I want to know you and know you intimately. Is that, is that the desire of your heart today? If that's the desire of your heart, God will meet you on the level of your faith. Remember, you must receive from the Lord by faith, by faith, by faith, not by feeling. You're not going to feel anything. You may feel, you may not feel. Feelings have nothing to do with it. We are doing business with God this morning. So raise your right hand to the Lord before I lay my hand on you and say, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I am here before you. You know the state of my heart. You know, Lord, the coldness that has crept in. Lord, I have lost my first love. And my heart cries out to you, Father. I repent this morning. I repent for my lukewarmness. I repent for my compromise. I repent of those things that I'm not even aware of. I repent for the hardness of my heart today. And I ask for your forgiveness. Father, grant me your mercy today. Lord, enable me to stir up myself. And so that I may take hold of you. Every single day of my life. Let this be a new beginning for me, Lord. For I want to know you and know you more than I have ever known you. I want to walk on a higher plane than I have ever walked. I want to see things that I have not seen before. I want to hear things in the Spirit I have not heard before. And I want to see those things which you have prepared for me. So that by faith I can walk in them in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.